Hello, my name's Natasha Nabanunga Bamblet. I'm a proud Yorta Yorta, Kurnai, Walpri, and Awadri woman. And before we get started on She's on the Money podcast, I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land of which this podcast is recorded on Awadri country, acknowledging the elders, the ancestors, and the next generation coming through. As this podcast is about connecting, empowering, knowledge sharing, and the storytelling of you to make a difference for today and lasting impact for tomorrow. Let's get into it. She's on the money. She's on the money. Hello and welcome to She's on the Money, the podcast for millennials who want financial freedom. Welcome back to another Shop Back Money Diary Monday, where we get to talk to a community member to learn about them, their money, and all of the fun bits and pieces in between. Victoria, I have a pretty hectic one for you this week, to be honest. This diarist is an absolute trooper. There is no other word for it. Oh, I want to hear it. Let's go. And just before we get into it, I do want to put in a content warning. We talk about some pretty heavy topics in this diarist's email. You know, if you find concepts like physical and mental injury or life and death experiences, something that's a little bit hard to listen to, this might not be the episode for you. So our diarist says, I grew up in the country with my parents running the local Chinese restaurant. After many different roles, I joined a frontline emergency services job in 2009 stationed in Western Sydney, and I was medically discharged last year with PTSD and a physical injury. My partner was diagnosed with cancer in Feb of 2020, and he passed away in October last year, leaving behind an 18-year-old and a 22-year-old. His will was old, and it was in the midst of being updated when he passed. He was too unwell to sign the final draft. Over this time, I also had somebody try to steal my identity. I have been in a lot of therapy due to my PTSD, but in January, my psych passed, which complicated things tremendously as I was in the midst of suing my former employer. I'm okay for money right now due to a payout from work cover, but I'm not sure how my partner's estate will settle. I look forward to sharing my complex story with the community. Holy moly, Jess, money diarist. Welcome to the show. How are you? Oh, you know, it's a bit confronting hearing it all back. And uh, I think my my self-talk is pretty pretty low, so I normally say to myself, oh, you know what, you just need to suck it up. But I was listening to that story and I thought, oh, my God, that poor human. <laughs> yes, too much. Exactly. Too much to suck up. That's not a thing. That is not a thing. Like, I just feel like that negative self-talk is absolutely serving nobody and anyone who just heard that story would be like, Oh my gosh, like that is blow after blow after blow. Yeah, it's a bit relentless at the moment. It would feel that way. All right, let's get into the structured questions so we can get comfy, get on the same page, and then we can have a bit more of a chat on the other side of this episode. Money Diarist, can you tell us a little bit about your money story? Yeah, so like I said, I grew up in regional New South Wales where my parents owned a little restaurant. We didn't talk about money a lot at all, but I worked at the family restaurant, so I learnt really good work ethic but probably didn't really learn the value of money. Not that I was given everything but more that I had to work for what I got. Did you have a salary? 
I got paid 10 bucks a night. A night. That is slave (laughs) labour. Slave (laughs) labour. I mean, when it's your family though, what are you going to do? Exactly. So I moved to Sydney when I was 18 to study hospitality. And I had a boyfriend at the time who I ended up supporting for a couple of years. And then I broke up with him. I moved to Queensland when I was 21 and then moved back to Sydney for a guy who is now my ex and continued working in hospitality. I probably worked anywhere up to three jobs at once. And I was living pretty much paycheck to paycheck at that stage. I did end up studying massage therapy and my now ex talked me into joining an arm of the emergency services. And I was 27 when I started working there. And then in 2013, he cheated on me and I pretty much walked out the door with my dog. Good. (laughs) Yes, queen. We'd been together for about 10 years and he had a pretty decent property portfolio and I refused. I wouldn't take any of it. I ended up getting together with my partner and then in early 2019 is when I went off work with my psychological injury and then I did therapy all through that year pretty much and then I had surgery on a physical injury from work and two weeks after my surgery my partner was diagnosed with cancer and then we pretty much spent 18 months juggling my treatment and his treatment. And I was medically discharged from work last year, early last year, and he passed away late last year. That is a shit show. There's no other way to put (laughs) that. Like, I can't be like, oh, are you right? Like, if you're okay, like, I do not understand, like, how anyone could be okay (laughs) after that. Like, that is... A lot to go through. I admire your strength. Thanks. Yeah, so I now have two legal matters going through with my employer or my previous employer and as well as my partner's estate, which is just a nightmare. (laughs) And something you don't need after going through such a traumatic experience as well. And I'm so sorry that that is the case. Thanks. What was your partner like? Oh, he was frustrating. (laughs) (laughs) They all are. (laughs) Oh, no, he was frustrating and he was funny. We we were like peas in a pod. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear. Love food. (laughs) Good. Joint loves are very important. (laughs) Was he also a dog person? Yes. If you can see the pictures behind me, this one was his dog. Yeah. This dog here is the one that I took from my ex. Yeah, good. This one is my terrible naughty puppy because this guy, he he passed away. Oh, my gosh. He has the cutest, cheekiest it's face. It's beautiful art, actually. Yeah, it is. Really lovely. For everyone who can't see, she's got beautiful portraits of her puppas on the back wall, which are just gorgeous. Yeah, they're stunning. (laughs) And that one on the far right looks so cheeky. Like, he just looks like he's naughty. She's the devil child. (laughs) (laughs) Get along with Lucy. All right, Money Diarist, I want to know, the next question is, what do you do for work and how much money do you currently earn? Well, I actually, I like to tell people that I'm a stay-at-home dog mum at the moment. (laughs) Living the dream. (laughs) Yes. I'm on payments of $75,000 a year. Mm -hmm. 
and part of my payment is paid fortnightly and part of my payment is paid monthly. Mm -hmm. That's interesting and confusing. That would be hard to budget for. It is very confusing sometimes. So what does that leave you with? Because obviously you've got some ongoing medical expenses like on a month-to-month or fortnight-to-fortnight basis. What does that mean hits your account and how much is usually left in terms of wiggle room? So uh, fortnightly I get paid about $1,000 and then monthly I'm paid uh, about Mm -hmm. $3,000. So at the moment... My insurer is still paying all of my medical expenses, so that's a bit of a bonus. Good. So that basically comes in and I'm okay, as well as like we're probably going to get into this in a little bit with loans and stuff. Because the mortgage is in my partner's name, everything has been put on a hold, so I'm not making any mortgage repayments or anything like that. And the only other loan that we had was on the dream car that we bought. And again, because that's in his name, it's all been put on hold. That is so fickle and so confusing and also a really good example of why it is so important to have an up-to-date will because no one thinks about it, right? You just go, oh, I have a will, it'll be fine. But an up-to-date will doesn't change your life, but it changes your family's life and the people that have to deal with everything after you're gone. Definitely. I keep saying to people, I'm really forceful. I'm always like, have you got a will? If you don't have a will, like I will punch you in the face. (laughs) Just do it for the people you love. The aggression. I love it. It's like all of my clients come and see me and I'll sort out your finances and I ask a question. I'm like, wills and estate planning, where are we at? And they're like, oh, it's fine. We're young. I'm like, cool. So I'll book a meeting with Lucy. You're going to go. You're going to do this because we're not having this conversation later. But it is something that so many of us just don't think is a priority because we're young, right? Yeah, and definitely. And I keep saying to people, yeah, but what happens if a plane falls out of the sky and lands on top of you? Like, what happens then? Yeah, exactly. We've got to expect the unexpected and prepare for the worst. But I want to ask the next question, my friend. I'd like to know, do you have any investments? I have my super. Yes. Which is sitting at 701,000 at the moment. Wow. Wow. What? (laughs) 701,000. I think you've got the highest super fund of of anyone anyone that we've ever had on Money Diaries. (laughs) So I probably need to explain that because of my injury, I was paid out my TPD Mm -hmm. insurance. So that was Mm 540,000. And they, that was put in with my super. So I actually spoke to a financial advisor and he said, there's no real point you taking it out. Just yep. leave it where it is until you've decided what you want to do with it. So it's just Agreed. sitting there doing its thing. And I also have just a little raise account that's got about 2500 in it. Great. How good. Next question. Do you have any debts? No, not well. Yes, but no. So not in my name. I don't have any debts, but our mortgage and the car loan is in my partner's name. So I think we're owing about 
50 on the house and we bought our dream car, which was a Land Cruiser, and we've got 55000 left on that. Land Cruisers are spenno, but in this market, they hold their value. So arguably not the worst investment, let's be honest. It's worth more than what we paid for it, honestly. Everyone who has a Land Cruiser keeps telling me that, and I've got a client and he knows who he is. He listens to the episodes. He bought one and he's like, at the time, he's like, Victoria, it's a good investment. And I was like, you've got rocks in your head. Boy, did I learn. (laughs) Yeah, they're not cheap. They're not cheap. Next question. Do you use ShopVac by chance? I do. I actually use it for these three guys. I shop through Pet Circle there. But I don't really do much shopping or online shopping, to be honest with you. But I do use it a little bit with Pet Circle and, you know, if I've got birthdays or something coming up occasionally. I feel like it's just helpful for those things that you were going to buy anyway, not necessarily like going shopping, but pet circle, great, money win, I'm going to get some more cash back. Because, small gripe of mine, how expensive pet food is. Like what? Agreed. (laughs) Oh, and my dogs, they eat so much. All right, I want to know, what is your best money habit? My best money habit, I'm pretty good at waiting things out. Like I'll wait for a good price on something and I'm not scared of haggling. Like I said, we bought a Land Cruiser in 2020 and your friend who you were talking about before will probably be a bit impressed that because they retail at about 104000 and I haggled them down to ninety four. Oh, And I have yes. no clue why they gave it to me for that price. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Just for context, I think he spent close to one fifty, and then did all yeah. of these upgrades and stuff on it. I don't understand. I just was sitting there being like, this is bad idea. But turns out it was a good idea. <laughs> um, I feel like haggling these days is very underlooked. People don't do it. Yeah. Do you find yourself haggling on a lot of big purchases? I mean, you can't go to Pet Circle and be like, hey, can I spend less on pet food? But things like cars and really well, big that's purchases. Oh, that's not true. No. Not true. If you go online and find a cheaper price online, you can speak to the pet circle people on their little chat and then they'll go and have a look at it and then they'll give it to you for the same price. Oh, oh my God, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that too. Money <laughs> win. She is for that. What is something you wouldn't haggle in that case? <laughs> oh, like I'm not going to go to the supermarket and haggle there. Try and haggle like with the Coles employee. <laughs> You're not the type of person to peel the bananas before trying to pay for them. <laughs> No, not that girl. Yeah, okay, all right. (laughs) On the flip side, what is your worst money habit? So my worst money habit is I'm probably not brave enough to invest or put money into a term deposit, and I know I really want to and I've got money there to do it, but I'm just like, oh, I don't know, should I do it? I'm a little bit, it makes me just a little bit anxious, to be honest. I get it. I get it. It's all about education, though, and making steps that make sense to you. And to be honest, at this point in your life, I feel like that is a stress you just don't need. Knowing enough about your financial circumstances, your age and what's in your super, you're going to be just fine, even if we wait <laughs> another 12 or 24 months until everything just feels a little bit clearer. I think that this is just one of those things where it's like, let's take that load off. And I think that there shouldn't be any pressure to start an investment journey when you're stressed about other things in life. Like life needs to sometimes come first. And I think that you're doing the right thing by going, you know what, not my circus, not my monkeys this week. I've got enough going on because 
It's just another added stress. And the start of an investment journey does involve you being quite involved in it, right? Like you need to know what decisions you're making. It can't be something that you just set and forget from the beginning because we really need to make sure that we're making the right decisions that are in line with our values and goals. But right now, it sounds like a little bit of a tumultuous time. So let's let's come back to that one at some point, my friend. All right, last question before we go on a bit of a deep dive after the break. I'd like to know, what grade would you give yourself if we forced you to give yourself a money grade? I would probably give myself like a B. I was much worse with my money than I am now and I'm learning a lot. I've been pretty good with my savings, to be honest with you, because I have about $130,000 saved. Oh, my goodness. Great Great job. in several different bank accounts. So I'd probably give myself a B because I feel like I could learn much, much more and I could be a bit smarter with it. But at the moment, again, got a little bit going on. Yeah, exactly. I would think that a B is a little bit harsh given how well you're doing, how you've got good (laughs) savings, good cash flow habits, you've got epic super. I would think that you are not giving yourself enough credit, which I think might be a theme that runs through your life at this point in time. Well, yeah, (laughs) I'm pretty good at being pretty hard on myself. (laughs) I'm picking up that vibe, but let's dive into that after this very quick break. Money Diarist, I want to kind of start at the start of your message and talk about your injuries. And I really like that you referred to your PTSD as your psychological injury because I really believe in the power of words. And I think that too often psychological problems are kind of not addressed with the same level of seriousness or directness that physical injuries are. So I just want to say I really liked that you did that and I will be doing that going forwards. But obviously juggling a physical and psychological injury at the same time would be very challenging. And there has been a history in, you know, the emergency services of things sometimes, you know, not being maybe dealt with in a way that you would hope for them to be dealt with. And I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that experience because you said you're still going through legal battles today. Can you tell us a bit about what happened? So for me, it was a little bit of a build-up of, you know, being exposed to a lot of traumatic incidents over a long period of time. And then I went to work and was faced with an incident that when I walked away, I was really angry at myself with how I dealt with it. So it's actually considered like a moral injury because you've done something that is you would not normally do or think. So I actually ended up doing CPR on a local drug dealer who I really despised and I remember walking away thinking, are you effing serious? This is the one person that I get to try and save today. (laughs) I mean, I can't even begin to imagine, but it's such a testament to you as a person to be able to put your own personal feelings and all of the things that you were dealing with at the time, to put them aside, to do your job, to save somebody's life is nothing short of incredible. And regardless of the choices that that person made, there is one more person in this world because of you. And that is just amazing. That's so special. And I just feel like as a frontline worker, you get 
dealt these cards where you can't really place judgment over these things like you're doing your job. How big of a gap was there between that psychological injury occurring and then your physical injury? My physical injury actually occurred first. Okay. So when I got my physical injury, I really didn't think anything of it and I just put in a form to say, you know, I've done this. Mm -hmm. I think there might be an injury but I'm okay. I didn't get any treatment for it at the time and then several months later I was at the doctor's and I was speaking to him and then spoke to my physiotherapist and she was like, oh, I really think you should maybe have a look at getting some scans done on it. So I went and did that and then went back to the insurance company and was like, hey, listen, this is what's come up in these scans and then they pretty much took coverage of it and Yeah, so I ended up having to have surgery to repair the ligament in my wrist. So that was pretty delightful. Yuck. Um, No, it wouldn't have been. No, (laughs) it wouldn't have been. (laughs) It has taken a long time to rehab. Wrists are so complex because there's so, my partner's actually a physio and there's so many tiny little minuscule bones in there. And turns out you actually use your hands a lot in day-to-day life and you Apparently need them. So. so that happened. You did the right thing. You filled out the form. The insurance that you were referring to, is that your personal insurances that you had or insurance through your employer? No, insurance through the employer. Yeah. Okay. So they looked after everything there. And then fast forward quite a few years to today, where is the sticking point with your employer? What is embroiling you in this legal battle that's stretched out over so much time? So just because we're now at the final stages of litigation with the insurance company as to whether or not they are liable for my injuries. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. And I'm assuming that pertains more to the psychological injury than it does to the physical. Is that correct? Yeah. That seems to be pretty standard in frontline worker like life, but it actually disgusts me. Like the idea that the people that literally put their lives on the line, like you spoke before, that you did CPR on a drug dealer, like that is putting yourself in, and I'm sure you've been in a million more dangerous situations that I don't understand and, you know, don't know about, but like that's a circumstance that not every single person would be willing to put themselves in for the, you know, greater good of the community and of our, you know, our space and our world. And then things like this happen and you're not put in an optimal position. Like it just, it makes me so angry to think that you have to go through this and you have to put your time and your energy and your effort into making this happen because ideally if it was up to them it would have been swept under the rug I'm assuming. That's exactly right it would have been you know me just being a number and then them being able to replace me so easily. It's actually disgusting. So talk to me about next steps. All of this is happening. You've been through a lot in that space and then you went through everything with your partner in addition to this. Like (laughs) How are you doing? How are you dealing with this? Like what's going on at the moment and what support are you getting? Because obviously that is so essential to this journey. I'm probably pretty lucky and I I really built really good support network around me. So I made sure like, you know, I was pretty demanding with my treatment. So for my psych injury in particular, or I demanded, you know, the best of the best psychologists and the best psychiatrists, and then I'm super lucky to have the most amazing friends. 
and family. So I've relied heavily on that. With my psych injury, I have also done like so much therapy, like group therapy and stuff. And in one week I go to a mental health facility for a little holiday (laughs) away just to try and deal with some of my own stuff. I think that is a very good step in the right direction. And the support there 24-7 will mean that you can just focus on you. I'm super excited to not even have to cook my own food. I was going to say the real benefit of those places and a very close family member of mine spent some time in a facility. And the benefit is really that you know, as a human being, you take on so many little loads, like you said, the cooking or trying to keep on top of the housework and going to somewhere where all of that is alleviated and stripped back so you can really just be with yourself and focus on you and everything that you've been through. I think there's a lot of stigma attached to it. And I think it's so ridiculous because actually for a lot of people, it's actually what you need is just the clarity of sitting with yourself. Yeah, definitely. I just need a little bit of time out from everything that's going on and just some time to deal with everything that I'm going through. I agree. I think it is a very positive step in the right direction. But I want to ask, because unfortunately, when it comes to frontline workers, this isn't the first time I've heard in our community legal battles going on between, you know, different services and previous employers because of physical or mental injuries or even bullying. I just feel like I think I'm in a very special position, right? Like you guys, I hope, (laughs) trust me with your stories and trust me enough to reach out when these things happen. And obviously I'll bend over backwards to make sure you're in an okay position, but it just seems all too prevalent. What support are you getting, obviously you've got a really great support network, but are there resources that you've been leaning on that other people in our community might be able to lean on as well? Or like, how are you dealing with this? And I won't say so well, because I'm sure you don't feel so well, but I'm genuinely like, what, how is she going through all of this and still going like, oh, I have negative self-talk. Like, no, (laughs) I want to pick you up and hug you and send you on a holiday and be like, what can I do? Well, I'd love a holiday. So, you know, if it's, you know, dealing with, a say, a, a mental health issue, I always suggest to people, you know, you go to your GP and you speak to them and get yourself a mental health plan because they will cover either the whole cost or part of the cost to see a psychologist or a counsellor or something like that. So that's what I always sort of suggest as for, you know, When I was working in emergency services, I don't think I took up any of the services that that they provided with, like, for psychological stuff or anything like that. I guess there was that still that stigma and I didn't want to be tarred with that brush. Now I'm a bit like, I don't give a shit, I'll tell you everything. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I feel like that's also relatively common as well. Like a lot of people that we've previously discussed this with are very much on the page of they don't want help from internal psychologists or internal support because they just feel like it might be used against them or might not be taken as seriously, whereas, you know, external help might be a little bit easier on you and the process might be a little bit more comforting, 
it's a hard position to be in and I just look at it and go, there's something wrong with the system if this is like these are the situations that you're finding yourself in. It's so hard. Like you don't want to be that person who's gone off with the head noises, right? And then you come back and nobody wants to be like working with you or they don't want to, you know, they don't want to associate with you because for whatever reason, it's a really harsh stigma. And I mean, even since I've been off, I've noticed that the people who stay in contact with me are few and far between. There's quite a lot of people who, you know, I thought I was really good friends with at the time because we worked together a lot. And then, you know, I've not heard boo from them since. I hate that. But traumatic events often help you find who your true friends are. And as much as it feels like a loss, something that I said to a friend the other day is sometimes you lose something and it's not a loss. Like sometimes when you shed something, it feels like a loss because you're like, wait, that was so good. But it actually wasn't because it was all not real. It wasn't authentic because if it was, they would have followed up with you. They would have cared about you. So not everything you lose is a loss, my friend. Oh, that's so true. All right, shifting back to your partner, that is just a blow that nobody ever needs, especially going through what you're going through. I I genuinely just cannot imagine. But to add insult to injury, you're also now having to deal with the will and the estate planning process. You mentioned before that his will was outdated. What does that process look like for you now? And how are you dealing with that? So my partner... He was previously married and he has kids to his ex-wife. And at some stage previously, you know, before me, there was a will written and it is signed and it's somewhere, but we don't know where. He was in the process of rewriting a new will and had written up a document which he'd sent to a solicitor. Mm -hmm. And when she sent the draft back was actually the day that he went back into the hospital for the final time. And by the time I got in to see him, he was so doped up on morphine and drugs that he wasn't able to sign it. So I contacted the solicitor and I said, listen, I'm really sorry, we won't be able to do this. She said, that's fine because we have this document. We may be able to just run it like as per usual because it's a document that he's written. Yep. Anyway, so he passed away. I contacted the solicitor to start the whole process and she basically came back and said to me, she said, oh, that document, we've had another look at it and it's probably not quite as watertight as it needs to be. She said we need to make attempts to try and find the old will and if we find it then you're basically going to have to go to court and we're going to have to contest it to bring this new will into play. Ah, and all because of a signature. Yes, and then also a lot of things that, you know, sometimes you don't know until you've been through it. So his kids are 18 and 22 and in the document that he wrote up, he had requested that they don't get the money until they're 25, but he hadn't set up any trusts or anything like that. And also the money, his life insurance had beneficiaries listed, which were the two kids. Yeah. And I think he thought that that would just automatically pay out the house and the car loan and then go into the estate and then be divvied up. And that's not how it works. Yeah. Same sort of thing for his super and stuff like that. And then, you know, so it's all a lot of 
waiting around and my signature here and a signature there and filling in this document. So it is a bit of a nightmare and I implore people to just get a will. Agreed and get a good one because as you're finding out now, just having a will doesn't mean it will be facilitated in the way you want it to be facilitated. So the example you just gave before, you said that there are beneficiaries on his insurance and his super, and he assumed that maybe it would pay off the house and car and then be divvied up. Unfortunately, for that to happen, it would have had to nominate the estate first and then have a will that supports that, that means that it would be divvied up after whatever is left over after getting rid of any debt and making sure that everything's good. But that something that, you know, the average person isn't going to know or even know how to facilitate. So one of the most important things that you can do for your family is talk to a wills and estate planning lawyer and just get it drawn up. Like as much as it's not something we want to talk about, like it is really morbid, right? Like it's not something that anybody wants to face. Like facing your own mortality is not a nice conversation, but being able to have that conversation while that person is still there is not only very constructive and puts everyone in a better position long term, but also costs everybody far less money because at the moment you'd be going back and forth with a solicitor and, you know, making sure that everything's paid for and to go to court costs money, whereas a good estate plan can cost anywhere between 1000 and, you know, $3,000 depending on who you go through and what that looks like and what your structure looks like. And obviously that's just my experience as a financial advisor who does work quite closely with estate planning lawyers. But I just go, that's an investment that you make for your future and for your family. Like you don't get a will for you. You get a will for your family to not have to go through the circumstances that you're going through at the moment because it's a headache and it's painful and we want time to grieve the loss of this beautiful person, not have to chase up paperwork and, you know, consistently be asked questions in such a clinical manner. Like, let's use that time far more effectively. So I'm so sorry that you're going through that. It honestly breaks my heart to think that someone in our community is just having a shitty time. Like, (laughs) honestly, like calling it what it is, it's just terrible. I'm honestly, it breaks my heart. But the next question I do have is, how can we support you as She's on the Money? Like, what can we do? How can, you know, She's on the Money support you and people like you going through these circumstances? Is it about you going, all right, well, I just want everyone to get a will and their estate plan sorted. I just want, you know, people to reach out more. Or how do we want to approach that conversation? Because sometimes, you know, I'm sure that a lot of people in your life just don't know how to start the conversation. They're just like, I don't know how to even talk to her because she's been through so much and we don't want to offend or upset her. Like, what do we do? I don't know. (laughs) No, I'm pretty open and honest about everything. And like I said earlier, like, that's probably the first question I ask most people when I see them is, have you got a will? (laughs) And then I I go on to say, if you don't have a will, like, I will slap you. (laughs) And like you said, you know, you don't get a will for yourself. You write that will for the people that you love and it's your legacy. Legacy is a beautiful way of putting it as well. Yeah, just do it. Like, because otherwise nothing that you want or nothing that you expected 
is going to happen. And if you do want to learn more about wills, we did do a full episode on them and why they are so important because Money Diarist, we are very, very aligned on that viewpoint with you. But thank you so much for being so candid with us. I think that what you have been through is nothing short of horrific, but there are lots of people who will be able to relate to elements of it. And if you are going through something really difficult, we will have a link in the show notes to Beyond Blue. They're a fantastic free not-for-profit that work really closely with people in the mental health space. Because like we said earlier, your mental health is so important. And I am so supportive of people taking it seriously and giving it the attention that it absolutely deserves. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Nori, thank you for being so generous with your time and with your story. I'm always very grateful to share stories with our community, but yours especially, I think, is going to impact a lot of people. And I know that you have everyone in the She's on the Money community behind you. Like, I know everyone is listening at the moment going, oh my gosh, she needs to be so kind to herself. Like, what a beautiful human. So thank you for one, being in our community and two, sharing your story. I'm just so grateful. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. Jess, now can you wrap the boring but important stuff? Of course. Don't forget, guys, the advice shared on She's on the Money is general in nature and does not consider your individual circumstances. She's on the Money exists purely for educational purposes and should not be relied upon to make an investment or a financial decision. And we promise Victoria Divine and She's on the Money are authorised representatives of Infocus Securities Australia Proprietary Limited, ABN 47097797049, AFSL 236523. See you on Wednesday, guys. Bye.